In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Don't be shy. Ghosts and ESP are kissing cousins. That's why they're prevalent in the South. Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. In Paratopia, all of our workshops are taught via telepathy. But paid for in cash. Anything goes in Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. So the Jeffrey. Hi, Jer. Uh, you and I, we got to what you call busy this last week, and uh, dare I say tired. <laughs> well, dare I say we have jobs, and well, this uh, this is the point. Uh, you have a job. I just sort of write, but I write well, a you're, lot. You're a writer. That's, That's correct. Right. Um, so all this is to say that, uh, you know, I kind of called you up and I said, eh, what do you think about maybe taking a couple of weeks off? And shockingly enough, you were you were on the same page. Yeah, yeah, actually, I am. Um, I think it bears mentioning that we have one, two, three, four, five guests lined up that are really big guests and really great guests. But we've been trying to get them on due to their busy schedule for quite a while now. And uh, one of those will be recorded next week, so it's not really a, <laughs> right. it's not really any time off for us, but it gives us a chance to kind of get a little bit ahead of the game. Well, yeah. Uh, and in fact, I'm going. You know, I'm going to be speaking at Tim Banal's conference tomorrow, and then, right. I don't know how long I'm going to stay out of town for, and then next weekend we're doing the Gettysburg thing. So exactly, I'd like to have some time off between. Events. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Gettysburg is going to be a big deal because that's going to be, dare I say, close to a four-hour show. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so at any rate, let's uh, let's go over that. We got uh, uh, Jason Morehouse, my wife, you, me, and uh, and Violet Rage, a la. Erie Radio, a la Newosphere, uh, who we met at the X Conference this past year, right? Uh, yes. So she'll be there with us. And so that's five of us. And uh, we have the DVRs. We have cameras. We have uh, snake oils. <laughs> Ghost Whacker 5000. Thanks to Snake Oil for that. Will we have Lane Crosby? I don't know if Lane will be there or not. Um, I'm going to have to, we need, we need a psychic. So, you know, all of that's ready to go. We're going to be down there, uh, not this weekend, but next. So, and we're getting locked in the place all night long. We won't have to leave until noon the next day. So it should be, uh, it should be damn interesting. And I hope to God that we uh, get something good in there. 
and uh, uh, Jason being a reenactor is going to be wearing his uh, his uniform the entire time. So he'll be wrapped in a nice <laughs> Can we all wear uniform. Uniforms? Can we all wear something for Halloween? I think. Uh, well, I don't know. Um, what will you be wearing, Jeff? Uh, I don't know. Probably a maiden T-shirt and a pair of boots. Come on, you don't have anything uh, Star Warsy. I'm not going up there in my Vader suit. Thanks very you much. You go up there in your Vader suit. He goes up in his uh, <laughs> Civil War suit, and and I will. Um, I'll stay home. <laughs> yes, yes, you will. <laughs> I'll be behind the camera. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that. Uh, I think it's 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 been borne out that uh, you know reenactors tend to attract um, some weird stuff up there. So we're just going to try that out for a little bit and see what happens. Seriously? It was. Wait, 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 wait. You're what? saying reenactors trick ghosts? Is this what you're talking? Uh, about? They tend to have more experiences <laughs> out there than a lot of people do. Maybe it's because they're always out there. That could be it too. But that the the, the house that we're going to be in was Confederate snipers in the top floor and Confederate snipers on the roof. <laughs> so Jason having a Union uniform and me having a Union uniform hat, uh, we're going to be storming the roof. <laughs> <laughs> well, this sounds promising. Just uh, I, I hope there is no such thing as ghost bullets. Well, if there is, we may need some Band-Aids. <laughs> Uh, in other news, you actually, on our message board, and that's www.paratopia.net, mm-hmm. uh, click on message board, go to, um, well, the last show thread, which was episode 40, which was Ufology Must Die. Uh, I believe it was the fourth page, maybe it was the third page of that thread, mm-hmm. where you actually posted one of the photos of the um, of your the back lashing. with the, with the yeah. Wolverine-like scratch marks all over <laughs> your back. And yeah. actually, you know, of course, a few people have chimed in and been like, holy crap. But mm. I'm surprised at how few people have actually chimed in. Mm. Why did you, what, what possessed you to, to actually post that? Well, because we talked about it. And, um, you know, and, and then people started mentioning it on the message board. And I was at work and I just figured, the hell with it. You know, what's it? So what? I mean, if it happens again, it happens again. I, it's not like I remember getting them. Right. Uh, so I just figured, what the hell, put them up. Um, you know, everybody else seems to do that kind of thing. Everybody takes, everybody takes any little picture that they've got and puts it up on the web. So I figured the hell with it. I just put it up and let people see it for, for what it was. Um, and I think Gidney and Cloyd, while, while I'm thinking about it, he mentioned something that I wanted to respond to. He said that, have you tried to, make out any kind of design out of them or anything like that, I think was what he was alluding to. Um, Who said this? Gidney and Cloyd, I think, uh, had mentioned something about that. And no, I haven't done that, but he said something about the area around them looking darker. Actually, it's my skin around the scratches is actually whiter because I think, uh, like most times when you get a scratch, the blood under your skin kind of coagulates around the... Uh, the, the scrape or the tear of the skin, and that's why you're seeing that lighter skin around um, the scratch marks. I, I really think that's all it is. Um, so anyway, I put them up there so people could see them. And uh, just to be clear, it is the bottom of page three. 
hmm. where it is. And I, and then I posted something from Whitley Strieber's uh, latest journal entry. I don't even know if you saw this yet. Yeah. But I will quote from it. This is sort of how he ends the journal entry. He says, I see the visitors as being a force for awakening. My adult relationship with them started out with an initiatory experience, the equal of anything that was done in ancient times. I was devastated by an unforgettable shock, beaten up, raped, and so completely upended that I could not possibly continue to deny their reality. To this day, my anger and fear fester. But that's as it should be. When somebody is as deeply asleep as I was, and the stakes are as high as they are, necessary means must be taken, even if unpleasant. The visitors don't care whether we like them or not. They don't appear to have that need, but they do care whether or not we're awake. That is crystal clear. End Mm. quote. Sound familiar? Sound kind of like what we've been talking about? I mean, it's it's interesting to me that Strieber gets it, you know, and, and any time like you or I see it, you know, and people are like, ooh, Whitley Strieber, he's a god, he, or whatever, his his fan base goes along with it. And yet you and I say something like that, and everyone's like, no, that's not what enlightened beings would do. They would never tear you apart <laughs> like that. They'd coddle you and well, tell you how great you are, and you're going to heaven. Yeah, right. It ain't about that. That's not, enlightenment. Isn't a, a, a you know whatever it is about. It's not about coddling you and and making you feel safe and good with what you've got because what you've got is the unenlightened thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's about shoving you through the door it's or a, shoving you shoving you out on stage, so to speak, kicking you in the ass. Well, it's funny. I was just yeah. listening to uh, Terrence McKenna speech at a UFO conference where he follows up Jacques Vallée, man, would I have loved to have been at that conference? Oh, God, I know. And he sounds an awful lot, suspiciously, like George Hansen, or perhaps the reverse is true, Um, saying basically the same things. And and he sort of concludes that, um, well, he quotes Vallée from uh, Invisible College, where Vallée says... um, what George Hansen says, which is you can't, you know, it's, it's sort of why... You know, is is sort of a useless question. It's looking at the effects of this thing. And so McKenna says, well, what are the effects? The effect is it's um, telling science that what you are is ludicrous beyond what, you know, what we've done with it in terms of like making toys (laughs) from technology and stuff like that. But that that essentially this this, you know, the last 400 years of rationality and patriarchy um, have got to go that they're just not the thing and that that's you're reminded Hmm. of that every time an alleged, you know, a UFO does something uh, completely breaking the laws of physics or an alien does something that is preposterous, especially in terms of abduction, doing these medical procedures that are antiquated by even our standards. Um, (laughs) And yet still being there doing things to us uh, that are, you know, that are that, that just the fact of them is higher than science, even if what they're doing is silly. I think that's an interesting... It's absurd. It's ridiculous. (laughs) As he says. Yes, it is. Um, I don't agree with his... Actually, I think that's part of it. I think um, he's on to something with with that that answer, but um, I don't think that goes far enough. I think... Although, I I gotta say, I haven't heard the whole speech, so maybe he goes on to talk more about it. Well, if it's the same one I'm thinking about, I've only listened to it about, oh, maybe... (laughs) A thousand times. Where he talks about uh, basically the two people who had it right were Young and Jacques Vallée. That that was sort of the beginning of the speech. Yeah, I mean he he entertains the notion that the the mushroom is an alien artifact, and that uh, it's the only four phosphorylated 
end all on the planet. And if you're looking for something on this planet that has all the earmarks of an extraterrestrial artifact, this would be it. Um, you know, he, he backs that up by saying, you know, this, the spore of, uh, of a, a psilocybin mushroom is so dense molecularly that it approaches that of a metal, which would be able to go through the coldness of space, the vacuum of space, and land here and propagate. Um, and he essentially labels it as, as if it's a calling card. You know, if you find this and eat it, uh, call the in, in, you know enclosed toll free number, <laughs> and you know, and we'll come at that point. You're not going, you know. He, and he makes a really good argument for it that you're not going to build ships to go out in space. You're going to send a probe, and you're going to send a probe that is uh, is is not harmful. That is, uh, I, I can't remember the the words exact, exactly used, but uh, primary decomposers, uh, things that don't hurt where they go. That they uh, they set up a, a, a underground growth system that's like cobwebs. It's very it's very benign, uh, but it's it's a self replicating probe, uh, and that's what he thought. Now, when he talks about his UFO sighting, it seems like he doesn't quite go that way with it. You know, when he talked about seeing the Adamski disc, which he knew for a fact was, as he said, malarkey. Um, <laughs> You know, he knew it was a it was a hoax. He knew it was a, a 1937 Hoover end cap rigged up with all sorts of junk and then photographed. But he saw it. He saw that very thing, and he said the more he thought about it and the more he uh, threw his senses open to it, he knew that this is what this was. But it started out as four lens shaped clouds across the riverbank, and then kind of again. Uh, melded into this thing that ended up as a rivet studded aircraft. And his point was, you know, what, what was more true to itself? Was it more true to itself as, as a, a bit of cloud or an aircraft? And then he compares it to, is it a mirage? Like we, you know, we think of mirages like the, the water on a hot day on the road. Could this be the same thing, but more of a mirage in time? Are we seeing the future of, Man's mastery of uh, of form and matter, and uh, you know all sorts of. So I don't know that he really had a a great handle on what it was, but I think he he postulated more than enough that he thought possibly the mushroom was an extraterrestrial. But later on, in uh, in a workshop that I heard, that's from not that far. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it was that much. Before his death, um, where he said he entertained the fantasy that it was an extraterrestrial. So I don't know that he believed that all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I think much like Valet, I think his, uh, I think he wasn't afraid to metamorphosize his ideas in what he thought, and he certainly wasn't afraid to say he was wrong uh, about any any number of them. So yeah, I don't I don't know. It, I think him Whitley. Valet, these guys, I think all are, you know, more on top of it, and, and and frankly are more ostracized um, from mainstream ufology than most. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting for for it's, that for that whole thing. You it's know, for that you say this because you know as I'm watching it and I'm thinking we're, we're sitting around kvetching that there's there's no new direction in ufology. There's nothing there to grab you, and it's like wow, who 
had more to grab you with than Terrence McKenna. This man had a mastery of language mm-hmm. and loved to use it. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was, is just mesmerizing. And Jacques Vallée, of course, was on top of it. Uh, and Strieber, of course, also a master of language in a different way, you know, as an author. Um, and, and nothing makes that more apparent than, than reading other works of fiction, because I bought another fiction book. I don't read a lot of fiction. If I'm, if I'm going <laughs> to entertain crap, it's got to be like two hours in a movie. It's not going to be where I spend days reading a book and go, oh, that sucked. Right. Because <laughs> I'm a slow yeah. reader. So I don't, but I'm reading a book now and it's like, wow, this is really not good. And uh, it really makes me appreciate Streber more. But in any event, um, I, I feel like, okay, so here are these people who were there and, and in the case of Streber is still there. And yeah, and people just, what, ignored them? I mean, just, are we just to pretend that this never happened? That, that people with broader, deeper, richer understandings of this never existed at all? I mean, is that where we are, where we can sit around and go, wow, there's nothing new under the sun. We've got to talk about 40-year-old UFO cases and, and bitch that nobody's coming up with anything new. Right. The new happened. It's the new has been here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes right back to what I've been saying for years is that everybody is so married to every theory that they come across because they so want to reach that final goalpost. They want to have the answer. And they're not willing to entertain anything past extraterrestrial they're not willing to, to enter thing anything past extra dimensional i mean i was right on uh department 47 uh the department 47 board a couple of days ago and somebody somebody brought up the whole cloud in russia which has now been <laughs> every yeah. goddamn ufo board on the planet and uh and skeptic over at department 47 it's his board he says you know wonder if this is what they saw at o'hare and I went through, no, it's not. This is what happened. The witnesses I spoke to said this, that, and the other. And I kind of gave a brief outline of the case. And I said, you know, but uh, we, we don't know if if the O'Hare thing was the enigmatic presence or not. But I said, judging that, it's one of the busiest airports on the planet. Uh, uh, and you've got so many people coming and going. The anti-structure is certainly there <laughs> right. for that kind of thing. And uh, I think it was Dr. Wu over on that board said, uh, are you suggesting that these things are possibly not nuts and bolts? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I said, for the better part of a decade, that's what I've been saying. You know, I, and, and I, 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 I love the analogy. I, I said, uh, I said, <laughs> I said, yeah, you know, once I thought it was extraterrestrial too, but uh, you know, then you, you realize that everybody's just married to a theory. And, you know, I divorced that bitch like 10 years ago. <laughs> and, and, and unfortunately, in the settlement, she got the ear of ufology, but I got to keep my sanity. Uh, I said, but she is a scarlet whore who continues who continues to seduce the masses. Um, you know, and then, I have a couple of questions about that Russian cloud. <laughs> that uh, Russian cloud, yes. Question one would be. And I might have said this on the show before, but but if if you have the ability to travel light years to another planet, uh, you've you've mastered space time and the science involved to get physical to get biological entities here and all of that. The best you can do for camouflage is a smoke cloud in the shape of your ship. <laughs> I guess question two would be: so people who who photographed the thing, right? 
and people were oh, there and they saw this thing. So if it was clouds, which it was, or or not, uh, couldn't they just stick around for like fifteen minutes to see whether the clouds like changed into other cloud formations or blew away, or if the thing shot off like a ship? Well, I think it did blow away. It, right. Uh, so what's the uh, mystery? There is no mystery. It's the fact that I mean, Jeremy. The biggest story three weeks ago was a goddamn cloud in King's Dominion that came out of a freaking volcano ride. Okay? <laughs> it puffed a, a smoke ring in the air that was superheated and it hung around for a while. It happens. And people go, well, those clouds going by it. Those clouds are not superheated air. <laughs> okay? Those are drifting lazy clouds. The reason it stays around is because it's circulating and it's hotter than hell and it held its shape. This is not – this is basic crap here, you know, <laughs> very basic logistical thinking. But yet, no, I think that's a flying saucer. When it's been seen there multiples of times, the guy who operates the ride said, oh, yeah, that happens sometimes when the weather conditions are right. <laughs> is it any wonder that an ID4 – Sized cloud appears over Russia, and people go, oh, no, it's no wonder. Hmm. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous. This is why it has to die. That's right. Well, I've been having some mini epiphanies as of late, which in the next issue of UFO Magazine, I will be presenting. It's not really a new model. Uh, for It's a new model for ufology. I'm going to be presenting a new model to how to study, how to look at ufology as a whole. Um, yeah. really Fuck a bastardization that. of, yeah, bastardization of, uh, Ken Wilber's work, uh, involving integral spirituality, but I think it, it crosses over nicely, which is simply that humans see things from the third person perspective, the second person and the first person, first person being I, second person being you, but since there is no you in reality, there's just two eyes, that would be relationship. So second-person perspective is a relationship, and third person is the object, the it, that you and I are discussing. And it struck me that ufology seems to have unfolded, whether or not by design of theirs, or because that's what we do when we approach the unknowable or the unknown. Uh, but however that works out, it is unfolded going from third person to second person to first person. And so if third-person ufology is the base of it, which is essentially nuts and bolts, right? There's UFOs in the sky that are craft, and the abduction equivalent is little gray doctors or, or guardians making sure we don't get off Earth or ancient astronaut theory. You know, something that's completely tangible and understandable and separate from us that has no relationship to us. It's something doing something to us. That's always going to be the base, right? That's going to be the broadest thing on which you build the other stuff. So there's always going to be more nuts and bolts people out there than there are people who recognize, for instance, second person would be the UFOs uh, respond to thought. We can call them in, you know, that sort of thing with UFOs. With the actual aliens, it would be something along the lines of, well, we don't really know that these are aliens. We don't know what they are. Maybe it's interdimensional, crypto-terrestrial, time travel, uh, that teacher-student relationship in in terms of um, people who are still in fear of it and and not seeing things in all, you know, teacher-student relationship, it would be, uh, well, I know that there's more to it than just aliens because 
there's all this high strangeness experience associated with it. So not willing to say what it is, but I know it ain't just some thing out there. It's something more personal. And of course, first person would be like, um, perhaps channeling, perhaps, uh, walk-ins, um, and, you know, and ultimately, I think definitely the the I am experience that that I've been sort of talking about. And in fact, I you know, maybe channeling and walk ins are are sort of a schizophrenic version of that. Maybe they're not even real. I don't know. But what I'm saying is it seems to be unfolding this way. Not not that it's completely rigid. They're all spheres of influence sort of, you know, meshing into each other. Um, and then they get confusing because, of course, there's uh, the shadow side to each thing. And the shadow side seems to appear, and I didn't say this in the article, but the shadow side seems to appear before the actual unfolding of the next stage. So that contactees, for instance, which are sort of a vapid, you know, emotionally shallow, uh, I was taken to another planet, we had dinner, <laughs> you know, Viv from <laughs> Venus, Adamski, all that sort of stuff, um, was sort of the wish fulfillment projection of people, you know, during the time of when it was unfolding as a nuts and bolts event, when that was how we were sort of approaching it. And so then when abductees come along, it's very, it's very easy to associate them with contactees because, Oh, it looks like an outcrop of that because contactees came first, but actually no contactees was sort of the wish fulfillment projection of the third person perspective. So I, I don't think I'm going to be able to explain this very well, uh, verbally now. Um, but hopefully the article will, makes sense. I mean, I tried to make it make as much sense as possible. And, uh, you know, if it doesn't stir anything out there in ufology land, then uh, maybe I'll just uh, quit. Because that'll be it. That's like, there's my contribution. Uh, and it's unfolding in my head. Like, the more I uh, sort of think about all of this, the more stuff keeps coming at me. And it's like, you know, I could end up writing a book about this, but ultimately, what's the point? I don't know that uh, that I want to do that. <laughs> Uh, well, so maybe I'll, quit. I'll make a I'll, I'll make a prediction. <laughs> Go ahead. It involves a lot of thought, and it doesn't give an answer. Well, it gives an answer toward so, what you know. Take take a guess as to where I think it will go. <laughs> I, I mean, not to be discouraging about it, but I mean, at this point in my life with this stuff, I'm a little bit jaded as to you know anybody putting anything out there that i mean the bottom line is is it comes down to the same old thing if it's not the easy answer i'm not interested right uh, uh it's that disassociative uh, uh behavior of responsibility it's like you want to know well if you want to know then go find out if you don't want to know then go sit down somewhere take a nap the problem is is that much like terence said everybody claims too much information I don't know if when people start with this that they – well, I know what they think because they think the same thing I did. And, and back in the early days, I can remember thinking, I can figure this out. I could be the one that grabs the brass ring. You know, That's the seductive, seductive part about it is that people do think that they can find some sort of answer for themselves. And then when that answer doesn't come after years and years and years, that's the point where they go – Oh, yeah, what he said makes sense. So then they immediately go for that. Mm -hmm. the, the biggest problem is, let, let's look at, look, look at one thing. Let's look at sightings alone, just sightings. Guy mowing his grass, looks up, sees a shiny metallic disc that hangs there motionless for a minute and then 
shoots off at a ridiculous speed. What is it? You don't know. So, number one, you're immediately dealing with the notion that we don't have stuff like that. Well, you don't know that, number one. So that right there ends the investigation, right or wrong. That ends it right there because you're not going to find out what it was. You're not going to be able to take that scenario and lend it to an unknown. It's unknown to what we know about. But what we know about isn't everything that the military or whatever aeronautics division of some secret space agency has. Mm -hmm. We don't know what they have. So you've got that multiplied a million times over across ufology. Then you've got things like Lonnie Zamora and what's going on with the news with that. Could it have been students at you know, New Mexico Tech you know, hoaxing this guy? It could be. We don't know. Okay, So now you've got that multiplied times a million. Mm-hmm. Look what happened in the news today. Did you hear what happened today? With the six-year-old in the... uh... The six-year-old in a flying saucer. Mm -hmm. Okay. Have they found him yet? I don't even know. I haven't heard. Where was he? I don't know. I just saw a headline saying he was fine. Uh, Well, I mean, there again, you've got things like that that are floating around. People say, oh, well, that's probably so isolated. They built that themselves. I got news for you. More people are building balloons of every kind... You've got these these balloons that are shaped like cigar craft that are solar powered. They're sold on the internet for, as a fun science project for kids. You've got to eliminate all of that other stuff away from what is the genuine enigma. It's hiding within all of that nonsense. So that presents a really big problem. Yeah, but that doesn't have anything to do with with what I just said. I mean, none of that stuff is a problem with what I just said. Because it's all ufology. I don't care. I know how you're approaching it, but that's not the whole of the scope of what we're talking about. Well, that's, I understand what that's you're not saying. the scope of what I'm talking about, because what I'm talking about isn't uh, – it's, it's simply how we approach – like you said, there is the thing hiding in all of that, right? So it's how we – Approach it. Approach, approach the thing that's hiding. It doesn't even matter the hoaxes and all that sort of stuff. Of course that's going to exist. Of course – there's going to be, you know, exopolitics, and there's going to, there's going to be all of these sort of like <laughs> yeah. sidebar crap issues right. that go on. All I'm saying is, and it doesn't matter. You can, you can put any unknowable there. You can put the word God there. You can put the word uh, television, whatever it is we worship. Uh, it it unfolds that if you if it's outside of yourself, it's an it. The first thing it is is an it. The first thing it is is something you don't have a relationship with. And when you see that, there's fear. Is it going to kill me? <laughs> you know, that sort of just instinctive reaction to it. Next thing you have is um, relationship. You know, in science, you would have the object, you know, a conference with your pal about the object, and then you would have the, voila, the identity of the object. It's mm-hmm. Sort of uh, observe, agree, identify. That's sort of the third, second, first person of science, I think. I think that this really answers, in a way... Um, why someone like Hoax and Ghost Horse uh, will not understand or uh, agree with um, a nuts and bolts type of person uh, who just sees alien doctors doing whatever. It's because someone like Hyokusin is more of a second person into first person 
uh, you know, relationship into I am type of person than uh, Bud Hopkins, who can't see past little alien doctors doing something to us, secret government doing whatever, you know, all of that stuff, all of that stuff that sets up the secret, uh, whether it be the government, the military, the aliens, it's all materialist, you know, it's all very, this is what it is, and it's out there, and I'm here, us, them, friend or foe. Uh, it sets up that that dichotomy that that may or may not exist, and then the more that this thing presents itself, and again, I'm not I I don't know if it's something they're doing or or our response to it. It does move into this second person relationship thing where the abductions have become no no they're it's more this student teacher thing or it's more about this enlightenment thing or there's all this high strangeness so. It can't really be just nuts and bolts. Something about that doesn't ring true anymore. Mm. It's true enough because there are radar cases and there are trace evidence cases of something. So something physical is happening in the world revolving around this stuff, but that ain't it. And then the more you you know are, get into the second person, which is typified, I think, by Strieber. I think he's the most popular example of someone who came out in a second person perspective of like, what is this? This ain't aliens. I don't know what this is. Uh, you know, and now he's moving into more of a first person. If if you believe any of the stuff he's writing now about his memory is completely different now. He's having memory. He's he's seeing things in his mind's eye that that sort of a I, I would say a schizophrenic almost version of a oneness experience. Um, mm. So I think he's sort of moving into that that first person perspective. Uh, and and I think sadly, like the 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 first person perspective thing. It's probably even harder to to pick out the charlatan in that case, uh, mm. because there are so few people who have genuinely made it there. You know what I mean? There, there's no consensus at that point on what's real and what's not. Well, with the exception of like channelers, maybe, or or feeling that you're a reincarnated alien, you know, indulging the human experience. You know, there's that thing, that sort of star seed thing. Well, where does the the narcissism of that begin and the reality of it and 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 if there is that real feeling there if if some people really do feel that are they misinterpreting the impulse of the real i am oneness experience where there is no alien there is no human there is no other there's just the i amness are they are they mistaking the draw of that for i am an alien <laughs> mm. uh so i i do think that um i think that this is something that will if people look at it, really look at it, it could be helpful. Oh, I, I, I definitely think it will. Uh, if if they'll, <laughs> <laughs> if they'll look at it. but 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 again, I got to say that that to me, the issue is always going to be how do you separate the other? Uh huh. I mean, you know, you brought up Bud Hopkins with uh, the notion of the doctors and the implants and all that sort of thing. I don't think it takes a well-thought-out theorem like you've written to go, there's no evidence of that. None. There's none. Uh, it doesn't take a genius to say, you know, Ted Phillips has worked a lot of his life collecting, you know, landing trace samples of something. No, but, but nothing say- has said, this is extraterrestrial. This is the other. There is no proof of that. Right. And, and Teokis and Ghost Horse would say that it doesn't take a genius to figure out what he's saying. And I would say it doesn't take a genius to figure out what I'm saying. The thing is, it doesn't take a genius, but it takes someone on your level to figure it out. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the, of course it's it's simple to you because you've already transcended the the Bud Hopkins thing. You've already you already know it's not nuts and bolts because you've moved beyond that. But there are people who have not moved beyond that. I guess the confusion for me is how can you not? Isn't it a matter of discernment? Isn't it? Isn't it just a matter of okay? You've got an implant. Let's take it out and examine it. Oh, it's a piece of glass. Oh, it's a piece of metal from a pop can. Yeah, yeah, you would think that, except that the thing that's the thing that's keeping them there and keeping them holding on to wanting that to be a transistor radio implanted in your ear or whatever <laughs> right. is uh, is the notion of this external thing happening to me, us, them. That's the thing they're trying to preserve, not the specific facts like whether hypnosis is a viable tool or implants or any of that stuff. None of those facts matter. It's the, the preservation of, of this point of view of right. us, them. Right. Hmm. It's going to be a tough sell. <laughs> uh, and I think a Ted Phillips is somebody who, uh, I mean, I don't know him beyond what we've interviewed, but I can think if he was a nuts and bolts researcher and then he investigated this, this what appears to be a portal or of some sort, Marvelous, yeah. um, then he had no choice. <laughs> he saw right. it. He saw the second person in action. So he had no choice but to go, okay, this, this really isn't fitting this anymore. Right, right. But how many researchers do that? How many researchers even research? I don't know. Well, that, that's a big problem too. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how... You can be so engrossed in the subject, unless some people, like you say, when we when we were on the uh, the message board uh, that we won't mention the name of, but you know, people like a good story. What's wrong with a story? What's wrong with that? You know, do some people look at UFOs as escapism? They just want a good story. You know, I think some that's of, what... some of our own listeners have said that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that that is a big problem. You know, I mean, this is a, it, it, look, we can we can postulate all the different ways to look at this we want. And I think much as it's I think it's going to keep going like it's been going. It's just going to get more and more absurd until it implodes, which is why I say it's got to die one way or another. <laughs> it, it, it must die. And, well, in uh, the end, I mean, even if you even if you were to look at the model that that I'm talking about here, it's got to die. I mean, that's the end result. The end result, in a way, is what McKenna is saying. But I, you, I think it's broader than that. It's not just science that this is you know poking a stick at. It's it's the whole thing. I mean, the whole thing has to go. The whole mindset is the thing that needs to be transcended, or we die, mm-hmm. or we kill ourselves. There's there's no to me. There's no two ways about that. That's that's the way a, a psychotic species works. It's like <laughs> yeah. if you veered off the road, you know, it's not going to be too long until you hit the canyon. <laughs> this is not what our parents put us here, folks. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I, I just I, – I guess I have a hard time trying to understand people who really refuse to see the reality, to take a step back from the whole subject. Just take a step back is all you really have to do. So – that that's always going to be my my issue is that it's short sightedness to me. That and that's all it is. I think it's a very simple problem. People want answers, and they become desperate for them. And at that point, there is no hope. You're going to grab onto the first thing that makes makes logistical sense to you, and you're going to run with it. And that's going to be your 
You're going to put the ring on that finger, and that's the one you're going to be married to for the rest of the time that you're in this. You will not change. And anyone who disagrees with you is a government agent or an idiot or whatever. That's not true of everybody. Streber changes. You change. I change. Ted Phillips changes. Jacques Vallée changes. People change. Not the vast majority, but there are people who change. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Yeah, the vast majority, though. But the people who change are the people who are really – well, like you said, they're not they're, they don't have a brass ring that they're they're going after. They're not married to their ideas, but there's I bet that there's something in them. Uh well, it's a little different for experiencers because when the relationship evolves, you evolve with it <laughs> or right. or go nuts. Uh so there's that, but someone like Jacques Vallée, I would think he's a scientist, so he's not he's not married to that third person point of view out of fear the way the common person is. He's actually trying to look at everything. Unfortunately, science, um, as it does in physics, hits the wall of second person. After second person, you hit a wall, and in physics, the wall is that particles react to, seem to react to the observer, right? So it went Newtonian physics, which is would be, in my little model, third person. It would be the mechanical materialist universe. And then quantum physics comes along, and that's second person. That's, um, you know, non-locality and these things seeming to interact with with the observer, particles, mm-hmm. uh, and also particle wave duality um, moves us into first person, which is that everything is this one energy, right? It's not particles. It's actually an ocean of energy from which particles manifest. And the fact that that's true, or, or the theory that that's true, uh, <laughs> leads me to ask, and I don't know if they haven't because I don't really follow physics uh, as much as my little speech here implies, um, but leads me to ask, have they figured out yet that, in fact, particles are not responding to the observer, but are being co-created by the observer and the nothingness that lies beyond the particle? Because you have to see something when you're observing. And so the thing you see is your projection. It's not reacting to you. It's being co-created by you. And I think that that's sort of the wall where science goes, oh, well, that's our limit. We can't go there because that's the domain of like spirituality or religion or something. I mean, eventually you have to take the leap, I think, in anything, in any of these things, you have to take the leap into the first-person perspective. And I think that's, you know, where Jacques Vallée becomes useless and where, uh, you know, I think Terence McKenna was useful because he was at least willing to take the leap into drugs (laughs) to try to have this sort of first-person experience or whatever. Uh, But it's just Mm -hmm. interesting. And the more I look, the more I see it everywhere. It's like if you look at the Judeo-Christian experience, it's like you've got the Old Testament, which is God as it, this uh, thing out there that we worship in fear. And then you've got Jesus, who's the second person, literally you. Jesus is another human being. And then you've got mysticism, which is Christ consciousness. If you get enough of it, if you understand it, and if you die into it, then you become God alive in Christianity. So, I don't know, you know, and again, science, of course, does away with all of that, with all of the fear-based crap that goes along with all of that stuff um, to say, look, we want to have this objective view of things, except that, again, science can only recognize, I guess here's the problem, right? Science recognizes the unknown and the known, and religion recognizes the known. Religion says, this is what everything is. Here's your creation myth. Go. Science says, that creation myth is incorrect. It's delusional. You're So we're going to discover shit. We're going to we're going to discover what these these unknown things are. We're going to call them unknown and then we're going to discover them. Except that it doesn't recognize the unknowable. 
and the unknowable can only be known on its own terms, can only be known as a first-person experience. Therein is the wall that both of these things hit. And I think that that's ultimately what will, what makes this whole first-person, second-person, third-person thing uh, irrelevant in the end is when you get to that wall. It's great to study it, it's great, but ultimately it becomes this neurotic circle jerk, which is why I think the especially the nuts and bolts people who are so far down the totem pole that um, that they are neurotic and nuts about this stuff because they have to keep it confined to that tiny little box, you know? It's got to be fear. It's got to be secret government shit. It's got to be whatever. It's it's all of these zits on the <laughs> on the face That's a of good the way thing, to put it. you know? Yeah. It, it's like an outbreak of stuff uh, because we don't want to cave into the first person thing. Um, or well, I shouldn't even say we don't want to. We where's may not the even know about it. What? I mean, where's the clearasil at that point? <laughs> you know? The clearasil is more elusive than the goddamn zits are. <laughs> well, so, that's, that's true. That's true. I so, mean, it, you know, this is falling on so many deaf ears. It's And these are the... <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm not... I know that, but then and then I look at the whole thing of like, okay, so let's put this back into Vaney's little uh, I am oneness horseshit. It's like, okay, the brain itself is a third person object. It's an it, the brain. It projects. Here's the problem: it projects a second person thing, which is the self that believes it is the first person thing. But actually, when the self dies, the real first person, the great I, is the thing that illuminates the body that that creates the second person out of the brain. It illuminates the brain. It creates that interface between the world and the brain, which is the self. Uh, and that's the illuminated person. But we don't know that. We think that the self, as it is now, this brain-created thing, is the thing that can be illuminated. And that is the first-person experience of the world. And it's not. So, that's a problem. I mean, I think all of these things are all talking around the same sort of stuff. And again, I'm, not, I'm certainly not blind, especially when you know I read the message board... And I think I've done a pretty eloquent job in my own head anyway of, of saying what I'm trying to say better than I'm saying it now because I'm a writer and so I can write this better than I can talk it out. But at the end of my long diatribe, you know, whoever I'm talking to says, um, well, if I can paraphrase what you're saying, you know, the journey is the thing. It's all about the journey. That's the enlightenment experience. It's like, no, no, I actually said the journey is not the thing, you know. Like, how many times do I have to say the journey is not the thing? It's not about what you pick up, knowledge. It's not about fortifying the self. It's about destroying the self. You said you said you think I'm the Antichrist? That is the Antichrist. You're right. That is, it's, it's not illuminating the self. It's destroying the self for illumination to happen. You experienced something of that when you just, you know, said to yourself over and over again, I don't know what's going on. You didn't build up knowledge right. onto yourself and say, I know what's going on, or I think I'm no, the right No, that's path. how you get out of it. Yeah, that's how you get out of it. <laughs> when you go, this is too much, I can't handle this, you go, I know what's going on. I know what this is about. I'm in my bedroom. I'm in my bed. I have socks on. You know, that's that's what you do to get to get out of that. So again, you know, and we talk about all this stuff, and I feel like it's, on the one hand, I know people don't probably don't want to hear it and probably don't care or probably don't understand what I'm saying or whatever, but... I can't help but talk about it because I feel like, you know, to go back to that moth or butterfly analogy, it's like this is the precipice. It doesn't matter if we get it or not. You chew your way out of the cocoon or you die. And mm-hmm. we keep thinking that we've got unlimited time here to just fuck around and do whatever we want. And, yeah, well, we'll just 
pay attention or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, but I don't think we do as a species, and I don't think that there's any nefarious alien thing that's going to kill us, or 2012 or anything like that. I just don't see a way that, that we can sustain ourselves the way we are. Just don't see it. But yeah. That's me. Well, I know McKenna said the same thing. He said that uh, – he said, can you see human civilization going 500 more years? <laughs> and I – you know, I can honestly say I can't see where we are right now. I think it's only going to get more and more tenuous as time goes on and how much how, – how far can you stretch that rubber band? You know, I'm just not seeing it. Well, yeah, um, and you look at just – like, again, I'm fascinated by TV, the evolution of TV. We had this thing called television. It was this bright, shiny object beaming light into us uh, in information. And everybody became addicted to it. You know, it's like, uh, it's like you stare at it. Like, like I got a moth, a moth to a flame. You stare at this thing, and then it's not enough to stare at it after a while. It's not enough to have that third person it worship. Now you have to relate to it. So you start having talk shows, and you start putting yourself on TV. And then that becomes not enough. And now you want this first-person experience. So you want, like, Survivor. You want, like, shows that are you. You're not just a guest anymore. You are the show. People that are you. And now, even that's not enough. Now it's like, now I need to be immersed in it. I need to watch this TV show. I need to go to my computer and interact with the TV show online. I need to do everything I can to be this thing. You know? And it's Mm -hmm. like, I, I think that in art and in sports... I don't know about in science, but definitely in art and sports, not the whole thing of what they're about, but a good portion of it is about connecting and, and identifying with an artist or their art or whatever. The thing that speaks to you and goes like Nirvana, you know, it was like, how did a generation go? Yeah, that's me. Or the Beatles. How did a generation go? Yeah, that's me. Because they identify with something in it. And it's not always that that thing, but it's enough of it that mm-hmm. um, that now I don't even think that that matters anymore. Now it's like, no, I just want to download a beat. I just want to, <laughs> I just want this thing thumping in me. I just want to hear a sound and I want it now. And I don't care about the frills of the, go, or even going to the store to get it. I don't want to go to the store. I don't want to look at the artwork. Right. I don't want to read the liner notes. Uh, I don't even care about music videos anymore. Nothing. I just feel like the, the thing we're telling ourselves is that we're not illuminating ourselves anymore. This little trek we've made into the world and and uh, discovering ourselves, our sense of self, all that stuff, is coming to a close. And I, I think that's why probably there's not even a lot of greatness coming out anymore. It's like, you, you look at Broadway, I mean, it's all the old shows. Any of the new shows are like nostalgia, you know, it's, it's all, hey, remember the 80s? It's all, I mean, Broadway looks like a VH1 show right now. You know what I mean? It's like all nostalgic (laughs) shit and old shows. And like theater, like, is still Shakespeare. And it's like, really? It's still Shakespeare? Nothing has come along since Shakespeare that illuminates who we are as people. You know, it's like, I think we're just done. I think we're just, like, going to bore ourselves to death because we're not transcending, Mm. but we're not telling ourselves anything that's interesting to us anymore. And so what happens? You go out and you buy a bunch of guns? What? (laughs) You enter the dark age. Yeah. That's what you do. And then you come out the other side of that, hopefully. I mean, I think that's... that's, uh... I mean, isn't everything now about doing? 
It's just about doing. It's like you go to the movies and you got a kid, you know, texting on his phone <sighs> at the movie. You know what I mean? It's like not with headphones on or whatever. You know, it's like drastically that dumb. It's like just give me stimulation, all this stimulation. I don't want to even I don't even care if the movie is about illuminating anything in me anymore. I don't the, the movie is secondary to the experience of like being seen and being stimulated by whatever is in my ear, whatever is in my hand, and then, yeah, maybe something on the screen. I simply must Twitter. (laughs) 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 I I get Twitters from people who are like, I'm at the movies right now, I'm seeing this. It's like, really? Your need for connection is that that fucked up that you need to Twitter while you're at Uh, the movies? I don't know. I, I told you about my experience of going to the mall. I had a Maggie Jackson moment. I look at the table. There's a couple there, a good-looking couple. She was cute. He was handsome. They should be kissy-facing across the table. What are they doing? Texting. <laughs> Maybe they were I walk past two boys, two boys, two adolescent boys, okay, raging hormones, all right? We were all there. Two hot-looking mamas walk right past them. They're texting. They didn't even turn around to look at their asses in tight jeans. I did. <laughs> I'm the old guy, you know, (laughs) it's like what I felt like ripping them out of their hands and going, what's wrong with you people? Get your noses out of these things. Yeah, it is ridiculous. I I, I honestly don't. I mean, I hate to say it, but I hate to even have to have a cell phone. Oh, yeah. Because aren't there just times where you don't want to be bothered? Yeah. Why does everybody have to feel like they're connected to everything at all times? Yeah, and then they get angry with you. It's like I was talking to Tim Banal about this the other night. I was like, we were talking about the bane of cell phones. I was like, you know, uh, people call me, and if I don't answer the phone, they get upset because they know that I know they called because there's caller ID on the phone. Right. The good old days when you just didn't want to pick up a phone because you didn't feel like it or you were busy. Right. Now you're just being offensive. (laughs) Right. What? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think that you're also seeing this. Not only in a personal people out and about your friends, you know, so on and so forth. You're not only seeing that with that, but you're also seeing it in business, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is even more disturbing to me. And now let me lay on our listeners a little story. (laughs) I like stories. By the way, can I, before you say this, let me just say this little chat we were having was supposed to be about 10 minutes. It was supposed to be. We're taking a break, but apparently this is going to be an episode. So go ahead. This is this is why you and I are friends. That's right. This is what we do. <clears throat> I'm driving home last night, and I get a phone call, and I think it's you. So I pick it up and I go, <laughs> "Yes." <laughs> it wasn't you. It was Rob Simone. It was. <laughs> it was my bank. The bank says to me. Hello, Mr. Ritzman. We're calling about your mortgage. We're going to be foreclosing uh, in two days because we haven't got your mortgage payment yet. I said, what the hell are you talking about? I paid that Monday. I pay it right online. What the hell are you talking about? You should have had it by the second. I got home. I checked it. It was paid. Funds were taken. Done deal. I'm on the phone with this woman. I said, you know, you call me up 
in technical terms, my payment for the mortgage is not late until the 16th. She called me on the 14th, threatening foreclosure. What? And they were paid. Oh, we didn't see it because you didn't file it through the mortgage company. You filed it through the Bank of America website in the bill pay section. That's because you're the mortgage holder, you idiot. What do you expect me to do? What? Let's make everything easy for the client. Let's give them online bill pay. Great idea, Stan. Guess what? We can't find his mortgage payment. Call him up and tell him we're going to foreclose on him. This connectivity crap, this ease of paying your bills online, this ease of being able to check how much is in your account at the drop of a hat on your blueberry is bullshit. You don't know anything because if, if your, your own bank can't keep track of your funds and what you're paying and what you're not and are calling you up to threaten foreclosure two days in advance of your mortgage payment being late one time, something's not right. It's not working. I, I mean, this enraged the shit out of me because I've never been late with a mortgage payment in my life, okay? And and the one time that I pay it online with a new mortgage holder, this is what I get? Foreclosure? I've read this woman, the Riot Act. I've never talked to a woman like this in my life. I mean, I was up one side and down the other. I'm seeing it in business. I'm seeing this. We're all connected. We all know what he – well, apparently you're not. You're not really communicating with people in an effective way. You're not really doing your online banking in an effective way. It may be by and large decent. It certainly gives you as a consumer a way to go back and go, oh, no, no, transaction number 3939299. You can prove. But when you've got that kind of hassle calling you up, Threatening something as drastic as foreclosure and you're not even late yet? What the hell is going on? I mean, there's your case in point. This technology crap is so far over the top, I don't think people honestly know what they're doing. You know? I mean, it's it's fucking depressing is what it is, to me at least. I mean, the cell phone, notwithstanding, you know, the cell phone could be the most valuable thing you've got when you're broken down beside the road. I mean, that's that's the time for a cell phone. But, uh, I mean, thank God that many of these states are passing no texting laws while in traffic and no cell phones while in traffic. I mean, that's the most ridiculous shit I've ever seen in my life. Some guy typing like this and looking down the road at the same time and driving with his wrists what do you uh, – I mean really, what's wrong with people that they can't just leave that thing beep on the on the seat until they get to work? It's this immediacy, and it's all fed into this need to be satisfied right now. I want it right now, and I want it – and there's no other way I'm going to take it but right now. And that's the same problem ufology's got. Everybody wants it right now, and this demands your attention. It demands your devotion. It demands your thought, and nobody's willing to give it that. There's the problem. <laughs> See, I guess I just um, I, I interpret that immediacy, that right now, as the unhealthy metaphor for oneness. <laughs> it's like we don't want to do what we need to do. We're trying to remain as the self and be that oneness thing, so... 
the substitute oneness is narcissism and eventually being a cyborg. You know, if we could do that, make no mistake about it, we would have chips in our heads already and we would be linked up to the internet and to each other. Yeah, on one point I want to say that we've poisoned ourselves with so many new innovations that we've just inundated ourselves with toys. And now those are so addictive in and of themselves that they have poisoned our society. And on the other side, I can see what you're saying, that we're longing for oneness and we're looking for it in all the wrong places, which I gather is what you're saying. Well, yeah, and if we're not looking for it, I mean, it's the unconscious drive toward it. You know what I mean? I think the unconscious drive, when it remains unconscious, wreaks havoc. That's the thing that wreaks havoc, you know? Mm. It becomes all of these expressions that look great, like these inventions. They look great, but they they feed this this hidden need uh, in, in all the wrong ways. I think people are bored. They're, well, there's that. <laughs> I, I do. I, I think over over the, the big scope of things, I think people are bored. And I hate to sound conspiratorial, but, you know... Half the time, I think that a lot of these movies and gadgets and toys and and all of this, the cell phone, the iPhone, all this kind of stuff. I mean, when I saw people standing in line for the iPhone, right? <laughs> like they're standing in line for <laughs> a rock show. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what is going on? You're going into to slam down four hundred dollars for a phone, and you just can't wait to do it. <laughs> Really? For you just phone. can't wait for a phone. That oh won't my work. god! Because <laughs> it's first god, generation. What, you know what did my nana tell me? A fool and his money soon part. Right? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, Nana, you were right. A fool and his money soon part. They just can't wait to give up that money, boy, because they're going to get that thing. I mean, it's really. Uh, I again, I hate to sound conspiratorial about it, but a lot of this stuff seems to have popped up when our whole political system seemed to be going through this very strange weirdness, terrorism, you know, yellow, green level, all that crap. This is when we started being inundated with all these toys, like let's occupy them with something else, you know. Uh, I mean I know that's probably not it, but every once in a while I get that twinge of are we just being placated or pacified so that we don't uh, go, hey – what is he doing <laughs> or what is she doing? Or uh, I, I don't know if it's some kind of pacifier to a society to inundate them with toys and, and that sort of thing or occupy them with a war or, uh, you know, I mean, you can go as far as you want with that argument, but I, I don't know. I think we've just poisoned ourselves. I think, <laughs> I think we've, uh, we've got all these great toys. We've got these fabulous cell phones and we've got, uh, Blueberries and iPhones and digital cameras and now we've got digital video cameras that are as big as a credit card because goddamn you've got to have it's no good anymore just to see that girl walking down the street and take a snapshot of her ass and post it on Facebook now we need video <laughs> right uh, I I don't know I don't right it disgusts me. <laughs> I mean, the answer real. is right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, where does that end? I think it ends just where Maggie said it does. It ends in a dark age, and and I think eventually, my optimism says is that one day we're going to stand back and go, "What the fuck are we doing? Are we going to look back at 
you know, this decade and say, God, remember when everybody was so plugged into their phones and their little gadgets and crap? Who knew we could do the same thing with smoke signals? You know, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, is it just is it just another fad? Is it just another thing? Or is this is this going to have the legs that God forbid rap music does? <laughs> well, I think it's um, yeah. I, I I think that we've sort of latched onto the idea that um, because we can do something, that means we have to. Yeah. Because we've discovered this trend and people like it, that means we have to do it. We have to give them what we want. I mean, that's that's sort of capitalism out of control, really, isn't it? That's free market. Yeah. 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 It's also the devil, I think, right? It's gluttony. <laughs> I mean, it's just give them what they want and let yeah. them sort it out. It's like you, you have no tools of discernment and then they hide behind, well, it's up to you to discern. It's like, but but that's not what you've created. That's not the society you created. You created the consumer society that wants everything now, now, now. And so when they do something wrong or it goes wrong for them, then you say, well, they should know better. Mm, true, because we're all adults and should know better. That's not what we created. So, so no, actually, it's not a surprise when we don't know better. Well, I, I go back to what I think Gareth disagreed with me on the message board about, which was the whole world of warcraft and star wars galaxies thing it's like if you can sit down and play those and not instantly recognize that oh guess what these are meant to be addictive that's what they're for they're they're there to take your monthly uh fee they're there to occupy your four to eight hours a day that you play them that's why the people that are into them are so into them uh i was at um target today i went to to get uh, some CDs and the CD aisles, uh, there's like two of them. There's like the new releases and then a small aisle of CDs and the same thing with the DVDs. Now last year, uh, just last year, all of these stores, Best Buy, Target, Circuit City is no longer in existence, but that they had these huge CD and DVD aisles. And now it's just whatever the new releases are for CDs and DVDs. Yeah. Yeah. And same thing with Best Buy. They're a little bit bigger, but basically the same thing. What is going on here? Are are we going to are are we slowly getting rid of stores? I mean, except for clothing maybe and food? What what are stores uh, becoming? What Because it's not as though we're getting rid of stores to go back to nature. It's not like the message is going to be, well, let's go out and play. <laughs> so are we really just going to isolate ourselves in our houses, not have to, you know, have fresh direct, have whatever, not ever have to go anywhere for anything and just well, be you, in our houses? You know, you didn't have to go to Target to buy your CDs. You've got iTunes, you know. Right. <laughs> but I, like you, probably want that tangible object when I plunk down my money. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's hell. I was upset when CDs came along. <laughs> <laughs> there was something very nice about an album, that big artwork, you know, and that tangible sleeve and those. That's true. You know, but tapes record. really sucked. So yeah, cassettes were dick. <laughs> but but uh, and I still love records. I've got them all over my walls for Christ's sake. So uh, yeah, but I, I do think that's that's the way it's going. Is that uh, I well, you know that Best Buy and Target and Walmart and all these places are carrying less CDs because hell. You can go online and buy a whole album, and you, you've got it right where you want it, your iPod. 
which can plug into your car now, which can plug into your head while you're going to sleep. You don't need a CD anymore. It's all on your computer. You want a CD? Great. Burn one. You don't need it. You know, which whichever you, you do know. need to leave your house. I mean, you do need an excuse to get out at some point. There is something about the the walking down the street, however you get there, hopping on a bus, getting in your car, and going somewhere. That's important. Yeah, I think seeing other human beings, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I go back to 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 the summertime when somebody at work said, uh, "So, what are you doing this weekend?" And I said, "Oh, um, I'm going fishing." Really. You fish? <laughs> yes, I do. Is that okay? <laughs> Man, I haven't been fishing since I was like 12. <laughs> As if to make it like it's that's something kids do, they fish. Right. Like, that's something kids do, they snipe hunt, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, go fish. That's my answer. And that's, and, and, and you know. If you if you ever want to get back to nature, go fish, ride a bike, you know. But no, that that you can do that on uh, on the Wii. By the way, you can go fish. That's right. I know. Huh? Does that say something about <laughs> reality when when you can go deer hunting on your PC? Yeah. And guess what? Guess what? My father in law bought that goddamn game to go deer hunting, and you know what happens? He goes, God, it's so real. I said, why is it so real? He says, I sat in front of that some bitch for three hours the other day. I didn't see anything. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, you can sit down and play that game and not get anything because you're too noisy or you're not in the right spot. Hmm. What? What? Well, gee, Jeff, we're going to have to call this the unshow or something. The uh, Maybe we'll call you're it. You're going to have to why don't you just edit like ninety percent of this out? No, you know? no, because yeah. people want go that fish. Episode. For I say, go fish. <laughs> dude, go do something. Get away. Through the you know the Corona beer commercial was the best one with the cell phone rings and the guy skips it along with the rocks out into the ocean. Uh-huh. I think everybody'd be better off if we just did that. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what would happen the next day? Everybody's cars would break down. <laughs> everybody hurts. Oh, and here's something I want to mention. Go on. I have an opportunity. Now, everybody knows we're going to do this Gettysburg thing, but that was kind of limited because, um, you know, it's it's Mark Nesbitt's place and it's it's five people and I picked the five people. Um, we have an opportunity. If anybody would like to go on the net and look up the Point Lookout Lighthouse, come springtime, we will be able to avail ourselves of the very haunted Point Lookout Lighthouse. We probably will be charging about $100 a person. We will need 10 people to go and do this. That's $10,000. No, that's $1,000. Oh. Idiot. Put down that iPod. Oh. <laughs> and you basically get to stay in there from 8 p.m. until 2 or 3 a.m. to do an investigation. This place is uber, uber, uber haunted. And from what I understand from certain people who have been there, no one yet has lasted the entire 
really? time they've yes that they've been allotted. Um, they are basically charging uh, to go into this thing uh, with a group of ten people, and uh, so you're paying a hundred dollars to be scared out of your mind. Well, yeah, with Jeff and Jer. <laughs> yeah, that's right, and maybe be killed and possessed by a demon. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I can tell you that the the area, the the Point Lookout Lookout uh, area, was the uh, the Union Confederate soldier POW camp, where a great many Confederate soldiers were. Well, they were imprisoned, but the fact of the matter was is that it was severely overcrowded. They didn't have enough shelter for these guys. They didn't have enough food for these guys. And they damn sure didn't have adequate medical care for these guys. And a lot of them suffered in the elements and died uh, while imprisoned there. Some were shot trying to escape. Uh, some of them starved to death. I mean, it, the place is just steeped in death, as they say on all the paranormal shows. And... Um, uh, I'd been camping there, and uh, uh, and and that's where I got probably my only EVP that everybody else could hear. Uh, <laughs> uh, there is a mass grave there. Don't worry, and, uh, you made up for it with the uh, the photo of your back. Oh, great! Is that, that what I have to do? That's incontrovertibly. In fact, I would like Derek Bartholomew, if he's listening, or any of those skeptics. Uh, assuming that they don't think you're lying, because that's the only other option. I'd like to know what other option there is. Either he is lying, or or this actually happened to him. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> um, but anyway, basically, they want to renovate the lighthouse. They want to they want to preserve it. So that's where this money's going to. And um, so it's going. It's not going to us. It's going to a good cause to to renovate the lighthouse. I will have more details for that as I get them, but it will probably be sometime in the spring that we'll want to do this. Because right now, I can tell you, my father in law just left today for camping down there, and it is but cold and rainy. Um, but uh, it it is a very haunted place. Uh, we we usually go every October. To the campground there that surrounds the lighthouse, and uh, ninety—I would say ninety percent of the time—my father-in-law books it, and he will book us on the haunted area of the campground, um, and several members of the party. And there's—it's a party of about thirty or forty people. Um, there hasn't been nearly a year goes by that someone in the party doesn't have something happen. Um, if not more than one person, so it's a it, it's a very haunted place, and uh, and the lighthouse is incredibly strange looking, and there's been lots of lots of activity reported there. So I would like to do it. I mean, if we could get ten people who would want to, you know, come out. Um, uh, if people are flying in, I suppose you know we could pick people up in a group situation at the airport, and we can all go down there together, maybe rent a van or something. Bring your equipment. Bring your cameras. We'll set up. We'll freaking light that place up, uh, looking for things and uh, and see what we get. It could be could be a lot of fun. I honestly think this Gettysburg thing is going to be. I think we're going to get something. I really do. Mm-hmm. I got a real good feeling about it. And um, uh, and being as we're going to be there in that uh, high DMT content of the brain <laughs> time. Uh, I think we may actually get something, so we'll see what happens. 
I'm really looking forward to it. I'm super excited. As you can see by the hat, I'm very excited about it. They, they can't see the hat. I'm wearing my my Union soldier hat right now. <laughs> Before, I was wearing my fur George Costanza hat from Seinfeld. <laughs> well, yeah, so. this will be uh, this will be exciting. Uh, Are you excited about it? Does the, the ghost stuff really doesn't appeal to you very much, does it? Well, we, we rarely talk about that, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't get the sense that it intrigues you as much as it does me. I guess if, I, if something actually happened, then I'll be intrigued. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm a lot, I'm a lot less intrigued by just ghost stories. I'd, I'd have to actually see one, and then I, I don't know. It, it's a weird thing. Like if, if I were asleep and it woke me up, I'd be scared. If I'm with a bunch of people, I'm not going to be scared. Right. Um. Mm, I don't know. What, what about as far as um, uh, now? Now are you saying you would have to see something? I would have to. It would have to be. You know, I, I believe it or not, I have a skeptical brain that will try to say, "Oh, that could be whatever," right? Uh, unless it's boo, you know, or knocks <laughs> me down or something, you know. What about if it ears. something touches you or grabs you? Yeah, all of that. That would all work for you, huh? Yeah, but if I just heard, I mean, I don't jump at hearing something off in the distance or. Right. book falling off a shelf or something. I mean, I'd be like, well, that was inconclusive, but creepy. Huh. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. What good, I- because that's probably the thing that will make me last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I know the last time I went to Gettysburg, I got grabbed and my bed got poked around. So uh, being as we won't be sleeping, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, I think... Well, I, I mean, our, my, my plan is is that we we have about four or five digital voice recorders that we just set down and let run mm-hmm. in quiet parts of the house and leave them alone, um, and see how that works out. And also, I think pretty much the same with cameras. We're going to try to get a lot of footage. And you know what? When you're talking about going in at ten o'clock and not coming out until seven a.m. That's a lot of footage to go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I very much doubt that we're going to be able to upload all of that footage. So we're going to have to like sort through it ourselves. And then uh, – and, and if we find anything or hear anything, then we'll post that for people to review uh, on their own, but with a lot of space on each side of what we think might be anomalous. See, I think the uh, lighthouse is, is appealing because you said people don't last there. So that's like you're assured yeah. that something really – Awful. It's gonna happen. And that's well, appealing to me. Like that. Well, I, I'm not even sure what. Um, I'm not even sure what gets uh, seen or heard there. I really don't know. Um, I know that there have been footsteps heard in there in, in there in the upper levels when people are on the bottom floor and they know no one is there. Uh, I know that the campgrounds. So the story goes. Uh, Back when you know we were usually when you're camped on the haunted area of the campground, you're you're camped in the area that was the hospital mm-hmm. uh, for the detainment camp, and uh, so many of these guys were dying that at night when the nurses would come around to or the soldiers would come around to check if you were still alive, what they would do would be to hit you on the bottom of your feet, and if you twitched, you were still breathing, and a lot of people in our our camping group have said they've been sleeping and felt either the bottom of their bunk get bumped or their feet get tapped 
And uh, I, on the other hand, heard something growling from the trees when I went to take a piss one night, and that was enough for me. Um, uh, but, but it, it, it's a very strange place. And I think the last time we were there, uh, for some reason, Lisa's family's really big into riding the bikes at night (laughs) and going up to the, to the, the lighthouse, which is, which is fenced off. The lighthouse is fenced off. So if we get in there, we'll be the only ones on the ground surrounding the lighthouse. That's the good part about it. It's very controlled. Um, when we went for our, our bike ride, Lisa and I kind of fell behind the rest of the family and I heard behind me, Lisa stop her bike and I stopped the bike and I started to back up from her and something ran in between us. Like it sounded like two or three people huffing and puffing and one giggle, Hmm. but I couldn't see them. And I wouldn't say it's pitch black, but you know you've got a certain amount of illumination from some street lamps that are down this road in the campground area. And I said to Lisa, "Did you hear that?" And she goes, "Yeah, it was some kids." I said, "What kids? There's water over there. There's water over there. Where are they running to? What kids? What kids would be running out in the street at this time of night? This was really late." And uh, I said, I, I think we just had a paranormal experience. And uh, she's, no, no. Then we get back to the campground, and I told her dad, I said, somebody ran right between us very quickly, and I almost hit him with the bike tire, but I couldn't see him. And uh, the park ranger had been there earlier in the day and had told her dad that lots of people see groups of soldiers running across that road at night, hmm. like shadows of these guys crossing uh, you know trying to run away it's a weird place got a very well documented history of being haunted so if we can get in there if we can get enough people and even if we can't i might suck it up and just so we can get people in to 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 get i want to go so bad i want to get in that place and i think uh, i think like devil's den at gettysburg that's going to be a place where we're going to hang around during the dusk area uh dusk time uh and see what we can get there, because that's that's a very strange place there too as well. I mean, I, I I honestly couldn't hang around there too awful long the last time I was there, and we were there in pitch dark. Mm-hmm. Um, it you you definitely will it will definitely creep you out. I mean, for sure. So uh, so keep in mind in the springtime, save your pennies, save that Christmas money, <laughs> and we'll go. I mean, I think it'd be a blast to get a bunch of listeners out to go do that. Yep. And 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 set up a computer and do a show right there. Sounds that good. could could be very cool. So keep your ears perked for details. Very nice. And now Tim Robbins. <laughs> no. Do you, do you have a Tim Robbins impression? Would anyone know what a Tim Robbins impression is? I don't know. No. I don't know. Well, the Jeff. Yeah. Um. Our our time is about up. We've gone a little over the ten minute mark. How long? About two hours over the 10-minute mark. Oh. <laughs> God. Uh, and we didn't talk about any of the interesting stuff people want to hear. Well, that's too bad. Because, frankly, they, they don't deserve us. Wait, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> I mean, frankly, they were supposed to just get, like, 10 minutes and uh, of an apology. Wow. And so this is, like, 
more more than that. <laughs> well, I, I I think everybody will understand that we have Gettysburg that we have to get prepared for. You've got a, a speaking thing. I don't think a couple of weeks is going to kill anybody. And let's folks, let's call this season one, the end of season one of Paratopia. When we start again in two or three weeks, um, we'll be into season two. There you go. How's that? That sounds good. And uh, and we'll go from there. I don't know. I might I might hop on and do a little something something. So really, not the end of season one. Probably not. More I'll probably just, just like, get on and ramble. Like we're probably going to be back on next week, and uh, and all of this will be a moot point. Is probably what's going to happen. But if we don't, no, 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 we can. <laughs> now let, let's let's seriously let's take at least let's take two weeks. All right, two weeks, and we'll be back. And uh, you know, we've got a great guest lined up for the first show of the new season so and one that you have never heard on most paranormal shows i'm sure um i think they'll dig him and not an easy one to get either we worked to get this one so i think it'll be great anyway good night sweetheart well it's time to go oh boba boba (laughs) 